and because it gives you multiple choice. And I'm like, oh, I did not know that. I really did not. And I was wondering if that was just a, you know, blind spot. In my, I also did not know that the original name for Ghostface from Scream was Father Death. That is not as good. I didn't know that either. No. That's a terrible one. Unless it's a priest. I guess that's fine. Yep. I also did not know that H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's hatred of seafood was a prime inspiration for Cthulhu. Uh, that seemed like a joke. Apparently, that's true. That guy was weird as fuck, though, from everything I've read. Yeah. yeah. His mom didn't do him any, you know, justice. No. Hello, I'm Patrick R. McDonough. Thank you for joining us. If it's your first time, hit that subscribe button. If you're returning, welcome back. I'm joined by my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And our other friend, Candace Nola. Say hello, Candace. Hello. Today, we're talking with the author, Christopher Rufty. Uh, we are definitely going to be talking about Pillow Face because that is a absolutely killer book. Um, but I'm going to say, Candace, take us away. Wow, you just... Okay, nope, <laughs> jump right in, why don't we? Oh, it's not every day that I get to talk to one of my uh, biggest inspirations. So, Mr. Rufty, how are you? I'm good, how about you? Yeah, I'm alive. <laughs> I'm good. So, I wanted to lead because, one, I think these two folks here know that you and I are friends. Mm -hmm. And I know a little bit more about you than they do. So I figured we would start with your intro to the industry itself. If you wanted to talk a little bit about the radio show that you had and how that led into some of the other stuff that you do. Yeah, the uh, I used to do a radio show called Diabolical Radio. It was something that I started with my friends. Um just because we, uh, this was like, hold on, uh, 2006, 2007. Um, we started it because we wanted to talk to people that made independent movies. That was basically why we did it. We were making or, you know, trying to make independent movies. And um, we thought a good way to learn this stuff was to, you know, like, like, let's create a show and have these people come on and then we can talk to them about it and, you know, learn. And who knows, maybe we'll, you know, have contacts and stuff like that. But I was a huge reader and um, I was reading um, <clears throat> a book by Michael Lamo that had just come in through the Leisure Book Club and we had just launched the, the show and I sent Michael Lamo a, a message on MySpace and um, he said he would come on the show and he sort of opened my eyes to, you know, cause I was buying these paperbacks and thinking like all these people were millionaires, you know? And um, so I was like, when he told me he worked a day job, I was like, you still work a what? And he goes, yeah. He goes, that's when I do my writing is on the, is on the train to go to work. And I was like, so you still have like a regular job? I said, well, how's that work? And he started explaining to me that, well, you know, just because you're an author and putting books out, he goes, that doesn't mean that's all you do. He goes, because this doesn't put food on the table. And I was like, oh, man. I was like, do I really want to try and do this? But I did the show for quite a few years and made friends with um, 
you know, like Ronald Malfi, Rath James White, Jeff Strand, um, Jack Ketchum, which was great. He actually came on the show several times. Uh, he co-hosted the Richard Lehman show with me, which is still a dream come true. Um, yeah. Had John Saul come on and, you know, I had all these archives of interviews like Joe Lansdale. I have three and a half hours of just Joe Lansdale and I talking. I still have it, you know, whenever I'm like feeling down or need some type of pick me up. I'll just, how much talking did you do though? Sorry to interrupt, but I know. Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> I know um, how much Joe talks, man. Uh, probably a little bit more than I should have, especially with like Lansdale, especially with Jack Ketchum because I was so excited. And, um, you know, it was kind of like when when I first introduced Jack Ketchum, I said, I, said, I just want to pause here for a minute because I'm like, you know, holy shit, I'm talking to Jack Ketchum. And um, he just started laughing. He goes, I'm just a dude. <laughs> so I was just like, well, yeah, not to me, you know, but, um, you know, I got to learn a lot from them before I even submitted one piece of fiction anywhere. And um, one thing that they all told me was, you know, save your rejections. And, you know, I'm sitting there thinking like, nah, I'll, I'll hit it out of the park. So from like 2007 to 2011, constant submissions. That's how long it finally before I got my chance to, to do it. Okay. So I know you went from that to writing to screenplays and movies so which do you want to kind of talk about first, the writing or some of your work on your movies? Um, well, the, the writing and the, the work on the movies kind of go hand in hand. Um, so any of it, any of it's fine. Okay. Well, why don't you tell us about your movies first and then we'll jump into the books. Um, there's not too much to tell about the movies. Um, there's enough. <laughs> We uh, have made, let's see, one, two, three, four. I've made five, and um, three of them actually were released. Um, no, nothing big, but um, they kind of came out, were out for a little bit, and went away. Um, so one of them still, you can see it on like um, Voodoo and Tubi and all this. It's called, it was originally called Rags, but they changed the title of it to Alice in Deathland. So if you go and search Alice in Deathland on Tubi or Voodoo or anything like that, any of the streaming services, but that's my movie. I made that. And um, it was highly influenced by Edward Lee. Um, so, yeah, I was writing um, scripts and I was writing scripts for other people while also trying to be published. And Ronald Malfi came on my radio show all those years ago and um he and I kind of clicked because he was doing the exact same thing that I was doing, except for he was already published. Mm -hmm. And um, so he was like, yeah, he goes, just keep in touch with me afterward. And um, he was sort of the bridge that took me from writing screenplays to, to writing books was he was the one who took angel board, my first book and sent it to Don Doria um, who used to be at leisure, but was just starting Sam Hain. And that, mm -hmm. that was, that was where the movie sort of led me to writing books. And then I just kind of never looked back. Although I do miss writing screenplays. I would, 
love to uh, write some scripts for people again. Yeah. All right. I think my other two friends here have a couple of questions, and then we'll okay. jump into jump into books. Well, thank you, Brandon. Appreciate it. Um, I want to talk a little about Sam Hain. Now, forgive me if I'm uh, putting words in your mouth, but I believe you were a, a big fan of the leisure books, and then to oh, yeah. be able to, uh, you know, work with Don at Sam Hain must have been really cool. Now. I uh, I want to talk a little bit about that, but before we do, you know, to kind of transition from the screenplay aspect, I had read that you said that a lot of times, you know, a screen a screenplay will be somewhere around 120, 150 pages, and yours usually branched out to more like 200 because yeah. you focused on uh, <laughs> you focused a little more on you yeah. know, monologue and mm-hmm. you know, novel stuff, if you will. So, and you thought that maybe that would make the transition to novel writing a little bit more seamless, and that wasn't mm-hmm. the case. I wonder if you. Oh, could no, talk wasn't about the case that. at all. <laughs> yeah, that that's funny. Um, yeah, because I wrote a uh, a werewolf script for this um, production company in Wisconsin, and um, I guess it was at the time was produced by the people that did that show Monk. Um, I don't know if you remember that show from it was on USA. Um, but they were like, yeah, so how, you know, they were, the director was, um, the movie never got made by the way, but, um, they were, the director was talking, he was like, yeah, the, uh, the screenplay is good, but you know, um, with the way Chris writes the inner dialogue with all the characters and their thoughts and descriptions, he goes, it, it took a hour and a half movie and made it a miniseries. But, um, I remember reading an interview with Edward Lee and he was saying that a lot of his first drafts, he writes his screenplays. I don't know if that's still the case, but at, at one time he did that. And I remember thinking like, um, Oh yeah. You know, I, I've been writing stories and stuff for years and I've read tons of books. And I've read tons of how to books. And um, I bet, you know, writing a novel would be the same as writing a screenplay, except for instead of putting the dialogue in the middle of the page, put it to the left. And instead of present tense, I put it in past tense. I was like, piece of cake. <laughs> that was so wrong. I was so wrong. Um, I think it was Tor, the publisher, because I was at a, a Heather Graham conference and I met the editor for Tor and we hit it off really well. And I was thinking, I was like, yeah, he's going to read Angel Board and that's it. And I sent him Angel Board. He was like, man, he goes, you could have trimmed out 2000 words from the first chapter. He was like, he goes, this book, he goes, it goes, it's good. Don't get me wrong. He was like, but we don't usually pick up first novels from people that write Stephen King thick books. And I was like, well, what am I doing wrong? And he goes, well, he goes, remember how you wrote screenplays and put the, you're talking about you putting the inner monologues in. I was like, yeah, he goes, take those out of the books too. And um, I thought he was crazy. But then, you know, when I was reading like Richard Lehman and Jack Ketchum, I started getting really into the pulps, like the old 50s um, crime fiction stories. And I was like, they could write a story that takes place over the span of a few hours and have a beginning, middle and end. But they do it in like 150 pages. You know, mm-hmm. it was just, it blew my mind that, you know, you didn't have to branch it out. So it was definitely a uh, a learning experience going from one to the other. And that's why I wonder now if I could even go back to the other, if I was given the opportunity, you know, I don't, I don't know. We'll have to see how that went. 
It's a balancing act because you want to you want to let the uh, audience get to know everything that you feel like you know about the character. But at the same time, movement is so crucial. You know, mm-hmm. we've all picked up that novel that it's like, OK, you know, I'm interested in this person, but like I can't picture what action they've done for the last three pages. They're just right, I'm in their yeah. head and I don't know what the hell is going on or what's around them. Yeah, uh, one of the one of the hardest things that I had to learn was um, telling the story that you're telling presently, while also telling about who that person is, you know, in the meantime. So that was like one mistake I kept constantly making was flashbacks. I kept writing flashbacks. I'm like, I don't have to write an entire flashback about you know a traumatic experience that happened. I was like, you should be able to sum that up in two paragraphs. You know, depending on what the traumatic experience is, or if it's crucial to the story moving forward. Sometimes it's not. And that was like the hardest thing, especially for the first three books I wrote um, that got rejected constantly um, was like Angel Board's a perfect example. Like at the beginning, you know, the guy attempts to kill himself. And um, in, in the finished book, I finally just went and said, OK, he, he starts it starts with him in the bathroom. He gets in the tub, he slits his wrist and then it goes from there. That's how it ends up now. But before that, it was like 15 pages of why he was going to do it. You know, and I was like, no, we can focus on why he does it starting in chapter two and just kind of move ahead and keep going. And but it's like I wanted people to understand, like, you know, this guy just felt like he had nothing left. And um, but then, you know, I didn't need the 15 page backstory, you know, beforehand. <laughs> so. And, and your readers probably thank you for that for that, yeah. that lean and mean version. Um, so how do you feel, you know, obviously as, as a fan of the leisure books, you knew who Don was before you got the chance to work with him, but how did uh, his editing kind of shape your writing style going forward? Big time. Um, another thing he was really big on was he kept saying that um, I was a, a splatter punk, but I was trying to, wear a mystery writer's clothes. And I didn't ever understand what that meant. And um, so he goes, well, you know, you have your Ray Gartens, which I love Ray Garten. He goes, Richard Lehman, love Richard Lehman. He goes, Jack Ketchum, Edward Lee. He goes, we had all those at leisure. He goes, we have none of those at Sam Hain. He goes, that's you. And he goes, but you're trying to hide it. And I was like, okay. He goes, quit trying to hide it. And he goes, and also put your thesaurus away. And I was like, what are you talking about? As I'm sitting there looking at my thesaurus on my desk, I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I was talking to him on the phone. And he goes, he goes, you got a thesaurus on your desk, don't you? And I was like, no, but it was like right there. And he goes, well, whatever you're using, quit using it. He goes, you don't need to use fancy words. He goes, just, he goes, just write the story. So I was like, wow, okay. I want to bring us back to when you talked about having Joe on the show, Joe Lansdale, and you said, "Oh yeah," with him and all the other fellas that uh, it, it you basically got to learn from them on the thing that you wanted to do, which is what me, Candace, and Brennan do with this show, and so I could relate on that level. But mm-hmm. I want to, I want to know, they told you advice, you know, save your rejection. So I'm wondering it doesn't have to be the same thing. What would you tell newer writers or people maybe that just are, cause for me, I got six years straight when I started of rejections and I felt like I was spinning my wheels in the mud until I met a friend in 2019 that helped me kind of figure things out. But um, maybe it's for a newer writer. Maybe it's for someone that's been doing it for years, spinning their wheels in the mud. What would your advice be for them? For someone just starting out or someone who's been 
someone that maybe needs a kick in the pants, maybe a realignment. Um, one, one piece of advice I give a lot of people is, uh, write for fun first. So it's like, um, you know, I've noticed, especially like when I've, I'll be on panels and stuff and there's at least multiple people that I'd be like, you know, I'm, I just get so angry with what I've written and I just won't finish it, you know, or this and that. And they're like, I, I, I hate it. You know, as I go, I'm like, Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's fine. I was like, but do you, you know, do you enjoy writing? If it's like, yes, I still enjoy writing. I'm like, when well, they keep writing, I was like, have fun with it. You can be critical when you're done. And I was like, but you know, if, if you're writing, like even if you're writing in all lowercase letters, you know, and it just looks like a lunatics, <laughs> you know, manifesto, you know, just, just write it, have fun with it. Then you can go back and be critical being, you know, you have all the time in the world to be critical. You know, it's just, you gotta, you gotta find the fun in it first. So that's like the main piece of advice I always give people and um, take the advice that, you know, sometimes like the whole Edward Lee thing with me kind of opened my eyes to like, Oh, not everybody's going to have like this amazing reaction to my book, you know, because I was kind of getting used to the fact, you know, it got picked up and I was like, wow, you know, I'm being, I don't want to say groomed. That's a horrible word, but I'm being, you know, put into this position where I'm going to kind of, get to be, you know, what the people I loved were ahead of me, you know, I get to be that one that's writing the kind of disturbing stuff, you know, and um, then when Edward Lee read it, he was like, oh, it's just, he's like, no, he goes, I can't, I can't blurb it, you know, he's not the way it is now. And um, so that kind of, your final draft might not be the final draft is another big piece of advice I, I like to give people because, I could write a book and look at it and be like, Oh, it's great. And then just put it out there. And then people are like, there's so many continuity errors. There was, you know, this happened on this page, but by this page here, you know, or, you know, you think everyone is going to like what you do. Um, they're not, but don't let that stop you from having fun. Just keep, keep writing it. And don't worry about what family might think about it. Cause most likely family's not going to read it anyway. So mm. I was scared to death you know, with what my family would think. And then I had tons of family members that were like, when are you going to give me a book? I'm like, I'm not giving you a book. <laughs> like, you know, if you want to read it, you know, I just, I just feel like family should be the ones that are like, I'll be there every day buying the new one. But now they're like, I'll read it if you ever give me a copy, you know? So usually you don't have anything to worry about with what family feels. Sure. What you're right. I did want to ask you one more thing, which was, uh, that point you brought up about being the new Ray Garten, which is a name that I wish was brought up more. Yeah, same um, here. Yeah. And uh, for those that are familiar with him, he actually wrote, I don't know how many episodes he wrote for this show that growing up as a kid uh, for Nickelodeon, it was uh, the hundred deeds of Eddie McDowd. I'm pretty sure that's the title. <laughs> um, and it's just so weird considering not like that guy's written a lot and he's written a lot mm-hmm. of great stuff. So thank you for mentioning that. But Looking back now, um, what kind of what kind of pressure is that? Because I can imagine because you're coming out with your debut, right, with, mm. with Sam Hain, and and Don's flat out saying, "Look, I want you to be the new." Insert the names you look mm. up to. Yeah, like, like does that did that affect you in an adverse way, or was that inspirational to kind of fuel your fire? 
probably a little from column A, a little from column B. <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah, it, it definitely made me feel comfortable to write what I wanted to write um, because I, I held back a lot. And um, so, like, if you look at Angel Board and then go from Angel Board to the very next book, which is The Lurkers, that was my second release. It's like night and day difference. And um, I was like, well, you know, Jack Ketchum was able to write this in off season. Layman was able to do this in the cellar. And those are two of my favorite books of all time. I was like, I'm just going to not care at all what I, how far the book takes me. And that's just like one thing I, because a lot of times I would write and then naturally I would go somewhere, but I'd always go back and change it. If that makes sense. It's like, I would sleep on it and go, Oh man, I shouldn't. I shouldn't have had that character who's so crucial have that happen to them so early in the book. And then I'll go back and change it. And then the book would just fall apart. You know, as I would start to go, I'm like, nope, my natural instincts were right. That person had to go through that. That had to happen. So now I'll go back and change it back. But then it also sort of um, freaked me out because there's these people that um, I'm being compared to very early on. And it's like, are people going to look at me as like Christopher Rufty? Or are they going to look at me as like, this guy writes like layman, you know, like a lot of people say that a lot, which I love. Don't get me wrong. I love that I'm compared to layman, but at the same time, I'm like, is anyone going to compare someone to Christopher Rufty, you know, or are they just going to be like, you know, layman number two or and stuff like that. So there was that. And then there was the like, well, what if, you know, I go out there and everyone's like, well, who to, who's this guy? I think he is, you know, coming in here saying he's writing like what we write. Um, you know, so it was, it was a lot. It was exciting, but also a little, I don't want to say overwhelming, but a little uh, intimidating at the same time. I'm really glad you mentioned that uh, halfway through that answer, when you said that you would uh, kind of rethink having something happen to a character early in the draft mm -hmm. and then eventually kind of come back to, no, that was that, that gut instinct was right. When I, when I, when you first went there, I thought you were going to tell us that you, you know, ended up changing it and having read the lurkers, I'm like, Ooh, that, that, I don't think so. Um, yeah, you, you probably know what I was talking about. Then, I so. probably know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Um, now I, I'm, I'm kind of an aside here, but with that book, um, I absolutely love the kind of 80s era, like small creature horror, your critters, your yeah, bullies, yeah, um, same here. Tr trilogy of terror, the Zabba Zabba guy. Um, and I was wondering if you could, you know, just speak to a little bit about what went into, you know, the creation of the lurkers with those inspirations in mind. Well, the, the funny thing is, is that the lurkers is based off, originally on this um, actual urban legend from Wisconsin because um, we shot one, you know, a couple movies out there. So I, I learned about, they're called haunchies. So when I first started it, it was going to be a little bit more accurate to the, um, to the urban legend. But um, I watched ghoulies again and um, started going on this big full moon. I don't know if you watch full moon movies, um, like the puppet master movies. And they always had like all these little monsters in, in their movies. And I was like, well, dang, that'd be kind of cool. If like the haunchies were actually like, um, like little creatures, not like another civilization that's hiding, but like these like tiny little creatures that are almost like something straight out of cannibal Holocaust, but they're just these 
nasty little like varmints, really, you know, kind of like Tasmanian devils, you know, but human like, you know, and so um, like critters and um, ghoulies, like all four ghoulies movies. I love them. Um, even gremlins to an extent um, all, you know, influenced that. So I kind of um, was thinking like they could be like almost like little elf type creatures, but um, kind of come from a carnival, you know, but then start living in the, the woods and cornfields and, yeah, I just went crazy with it. So, but the little monster movies definitely played a huge inspiration in it. Very cool, Miss Candace. Yes, sir. Well, that <clears throat> that uh, <laughs> I was going to go back into your books. So, thank you, Brennan, because now I don't have to. We're already there. <laughs> So how many do you actually have out? Do you know novels? Um, my son asked me yesterday, as a matter of fact. So we uh, went on Amazon and we started counting. Um, twenty, About to be 26. It'll be 26 on the next one. That's a hell of a lot. Yeah, it kind of blows my mind a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so in all of those, and I know I have... I've read, I believe, all of them, with the exception of maybe two. <laughs> In all of those, do you have particular ones that are your favorite ones? Or is it kind of like asking, which one of your kids is your favorite? Well, you know how that is. So I'm sure you feel the same way when you're asked <laughs> that. Um, but, I mean, I have ones that I definitely... Um, I kind of look at each book as the whole experience. So it's not just like the book itself, but it's like, I, I kind of flash back to where I was mentally or how much fun I had working on it. Um, Cause as y'all all know, not each one is as fun as the other ones. Sometimes, sometimes one is just like the best experience ever. And the other one, is just like pulling That's teeth going to the dentist. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's like, I'm finishing this. I might not like where I go, you know, when I'm finished, but I'm getting to the end. Um, I'm going to cut you off real there on that point. Have you done that? Sorry, this just popped up. Have you done that where that's ended up being one of your favorite stories? I won't interrupt again. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I don't want to say if it's been one of my favorites, but um, I like it now, um, which was Oak Hollow. Um, that one... I worked off and on for off and on for like a year and um, started it over multiple times. Um, and then I got sick and had pneumonia like really bad. I was like out of work for two weeks, still had the deadline. And um, I was just laying in bed with it, like a pillow like this and a notepad on top of it. So the computer wouldn't overheat. And then I just wrote Oak Hollow. I wrote, I think 86,000 words in three days. And um had no memory of what I wrote really. And um, then I sent it to my pre-reader at the time and it came back. And so keep in mind, I've been with this book for a year and I, I was done with it. I didn't even read over her suggestions. I just went through check changes, except, 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 except. And um, then I sent it to Don. He sent it with his notes and everything, which kind of caught me by surprise that there was, there weren't that many. And um, 
then they sent it to the cop, the um, copy editors, the line editors and all that. And there really wasn't a whole lot of suggestions, you know, just like little things here and there. And for like the longest time, I would not even want to read anything from it again. And it came out on audiobook um, not too long ago, probably like back in early summer. And I got a free copy of it, you know, the little audible code. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be that guy that listens to his own audiobook. So um, I listened to it and I was kind of like, wow, actually, it's actually a pretty fun book, you know, and I hated it for years. And like when I'd have it at the table, people were like, what's, what's that call about? I'm like, eh, don't, you know, but for some, somehow that became like one of my more popular Sam Haynes titles. And um, when people would ask me about it and do interviews about it, I'm like, ah, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, it was fun. It was supposed to be like a tribute to Edward Lee, but um, it just, it went off the rails. And, uh, but yeah, I can say I like it now. <laughs> But to answer Candace's question, um, one that a lot of people do not like, but I love a lot, is Jagger. Um, that's my first killer dog book. Um, it's got it's got some brutality in it, but I had a blast writing it. I don't know why, but it was just like it was a rough year. But whenever I wrote that book, it was like I kind of forgot about what else, everything else was going on. Um, and another one as a dark autumn that one's pretty brutal but um i had a blast writing it i wrote it in four days and um it's like i just didn't want to stop working on it um prank night was another one that was um a great time um i had so much fun like researching like all the you know history of halloween and and all that stuff and it was fun about writing about halloween because that was my first time i'd ever really written about halloween except for a, a script i wrote for somebody for a movie that got made but the production company fell apart so i have no idea whatever was going to happen with that movie um and the first pillow face was probably the absolute most fun i'd ever had writing anything until i wrote old scratch recently and so as much fun as i had with all these other ones i had an absolute blast with pillow face and nothing came close to it until i wrote old scratch um recently so so out of all of those old ones all the way up until your most re recent one lucy is there any that you wish had more attention on it now um, yeah, um, there's something violent, um, that's, uh, probably it's very up there with, you know, if, if someone was like, you know, pick your absolute, um, absolute favorite, something violent would be up there near the top. Um, mm -hmm. it was the first time I kind of stepped, I don't want to say first time, but it was like one of the times I started kind of pulling in, um, my love of like uh, pulp fiction, crime fiction type stuff um, into horror tropes. So it was like um, that one's about <clears throat> a thrill killing couple who um, kidnap a marriage counselor who's supposed to be like really good at his job. And um, they basically kidnap him and um, hold him 
captive because they want him to help them find the thrill in their marriage again. And it's like they don't enjoy killing people anymore. So they want him to help them find that. And it's basically the book is told in third person when it's the marriage counselor. But then when Jody, the wife, is telling her side, it's first person. And then when Seth, the husband, is telling his side, it's first person. So I kind of borrowed that, you know, rotating point of views from Richard Lehman's Endless Night. I don't know if y'all have ever read that. To where you know it starts off the main story still going forward, but then it flashbacks to like you know something in the past with this character, and it's like I have like these serial killer spoofs of you know normal relationship issues, and um, I, I love that book, and it, it was going to be released by Dark Fuse. It was the very last Dark Fuse release before they went under. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was my book and a book by Edward Lorne, but I can't remember what his book was. They were released together on the same day on a Tuesday. And I think like a month later, Dark Fuse closed their doors. So it was like kind of came out, you know, no one read it. Um, so I was like, okay, well, now that I have the rights back, I bought the uh, the cover art from the artist and I released it again myself. Still no one's bought it. So <laughs> that's what I really wish would get more of an audience and one of my newest ones, old scratch. Um, I wish more people would um, read that one because like I said, that's probably put a gun to my head. And if I chose something that was absolute best thing I've ever written, um, I'd probably have to say old scratch. If it's not the best, it's one of them. Um, That one was a good time. Yeah. I like that one a lot. Not because I got to edit it or read it early or anything, <laughs> but you know, mm-hmm. it is one of my favorites. Um, wow, there's so many books I could ask you, <laughs> but let me see if these other two want to ask any more Hello about face. what they have recently read. Oh, other face. than, um, <laughs> uh, what was that, Patrick? You want to talk about what? <laughs> Hello, face. Uh, let me say this before I let you go ahead and ask your question. Uh, Hello, face rules is probably one of my top five books of yours. <laughs> oh, thank you. Freaking amazing. <laughs> I was but worried anyway. about writing a sequel to something that you know far back, um, but I was kind of looking. I was like, well, you know. Halloween did it, you know, Chainsaw Massacre did it, you know, they, and they had a lot more years in between than I did. So it was kind of like, um, I was like, I wanted to write like a direct sequel to the original, but one that didn't ignore the other stuff. So that was pillar face rules. And I was really scared to death that people weren't going to like it, but they seemed to like it. So it's fantastic. <laughs> but anyway, Patrick, we'll go over to you and let you ask your question and then I'll come back. Yeah, so I love Pillowface. It's um it is one of the most like it's super realistic and is you know, slashers they're they can be realistic, but they kind of go over the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is fun, but yours was really super like surreal realistic. That's not the right term. Anyways, <laughs> on. um I'm just wondering why it, like if you went in knowing I wanna make my Bad, um, yeah, he's a bad guy. Oh yeah, he's a bad guy. Don't 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 get I, that wrong. He's a bad guy. Yeah, 
it's just the relationship he develops with the kid. He just, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, man, I, I loved it, and I'm just wondering if you went in knowing that you wanted to make him a veteran. Um, actually, yeah. Um, that came from this um, a movie I made called Psycho Holocaust, where um, they were characters in that movie: um, mm. Buddy, Cart, and Pillowface. Mm. Not the ones that we get in the book, but very close. Um, and those three characters um, were inspired by this. I don't know if it was a documentary or what, but it was something on that I saw online. And it was about, um, you know, veterans coming back from Iraq and they're OK for a little bit. And then they were just snapping. And um, the final one was a real brutal story. And I ended up having to shut it off. And I was like, I can't. I was like, that's scary. You know, it's like you leave, you know, you're kind of thinking you're going, which you are, you know, protecting your country and all that is a good reason to go do it. But when you come back, it's like maybe these guys can't turn it off, you know, and maybe it's like they're still um, they're still soldiers no matter what. And um, so they kind of look at everyone except for their core three as the villain. Um so that's sort of that's that's what drives, especially the leader, Buddy. Um, he was a, uh, as you know in the book, he was the documentary filmmaker who was there. Mm. So he kind of looks at everything through an artistic side. But Pillowface and Carp, they they look at it. They don't see the art. They just they just want to kill. And um, so Buddy uses that. And it's like they they're some ruthless people. Pictured him as Tom Savini because he, for those that don't know, Tom Savini was a photographer mm-hmm. uh, during not Vietnam War. That's why I couldn't work with George Romero during the first nightmare, uh, Night of Living Dead. But yeah. um, that's how that's actually picture. what that's what inspired that character. Was, really? Yeah, was that Tom Savini interview I saw? It was like that Scream Greats that Tom Savini did. Um, and he was talking about how he went over, he saw the real thing. Mm-hmm. So he was able to come back and recreate it for the movies. And I was like, well, dang, what if you saw the real thing? And when you came back, all the death you still saw that you were causing still just, you know, you were still almost like documenting it. It wasn't like, it's like you could separate yourself from it, you know? So it was just kind of, that's what inspired and, you know, influenced the creation of buddy was um that and also never put their real names in the stories either it's like i know what their names are in my head but i'm i'm never gonna say it no matter how many stories i write with pillow face i'm never gonna say what his real name is either <laughs> interesting and i got one more comment i'm going i'm gonna bet that no one's made this analogy before but pillow face to me was kind of like the beast from beauty and the beast because you start out with this gorgeous man um, and I, I mean, you know, really going to example, uh, I mean, you don't talk about how he was beforehand. He was a quiet guy. He was good at his job, but mm-hmm. you don't really talk about how he was. Whereas with the beast, I forget his real name. He was an asshole, but yeah. <laughs> then, then they get turned into this, this creature. Um, and you know, they, they kind of just resemble, who they were on the inside. Uh, actually, the more I talk about this out loud, the less I like this analogy. So, Candace, why don't you take over? <laughs> this sucks. And I'm keeping this in. I'm not cutting this out. That's you know, I could tell. <laughs> you, you can cut you that start- out. 
it's one of those things where in your head you're like it sounds good and then you talk you're like you're a fucking idiot like no stop talking (laughs) yeah i'm not gonna cut that out go ahead candace (laughs) <laughs> I kind of think I know where you were trying to go with that, but yeah, you, you didn't get there. It's okay. <laughs> Half a point for attempt. <laughs> um, Christopher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know what my favorite one is? Well, sure. And you might know. I think I've mentioned this one. But the vampire of Plainfield. I want you to talk oh. about that one because, first of all, people who don't know this, you you need to tell them about this book. Second of all, if they've not read it or if they have, they need to listen to the narration because it's just superb. So, oh, the audiobook? Yeah, yeah, he's he's great. Yeah, he's absolutely great. So tell us about that just the whole thing where the what the how where where the idea came the from idea, the idea which is where a lot of my ideas come from is that it's usually a conversation and i make a joke and um like bigfoot beach was a joke that i made with my kids and vampire plainfield was a joke i made with a friend of mine we were um watching a movie called deranged. I don't know if anyone, I don't know if y'all have seen that movie. It's from the seventies. Speaking of Tom Savini, he did the effects for it. Um, and it was influenced by Ed Gein. Um, it was kind of almost like a biopic horror movie, but they changed the names and changed, you know, the facts and kind of made it more of more of like a slasher movie. Um, but it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And um, <clears throat> there's a part where he's in the cemetery and he's digging up, um bodies and i turned to my friend i was like i was like how cheesy would it be if he accidentally dug up a vampire and then we laughed and um smoked more stuff and then um <laughs> we uh kept talking and um i was like yeah i was like and i was like ed would probably think it was like something cool you know like he could take it on the road and like show it off to people like look at this vampire i found and um then that stayed with me and i was like holy cow that's kind of a good idea I was like, what if Ed Gein did when he was robbing graves? What if he dug up a vampire and pulled the stake out of his chest? You know, it's kind of like the hammer movie type vampire comes back to life and then is set loose in Plainfield. And then he's like, oh, crap. He goes, what have I done? He goes, and it's not that he's like going, oh, no, all these innocent people are in trouble. It's like, no, he's like, people are going to know that I caused this. People are going to know how I caused this. He's like, I need to stop it. So that's. Pretty much really the gist of Vampire Plainfield is I took my love of movies like Frank Fright Night, which is probably one of my absolute favorite horror movies. And then my love of 50s horror and 50s, you know, books and everything. And um, I actually know quite a bit about the Ed Gein case. And I would sort of I, I would change names here and there, you know, because I didn't want like all the. um victims to be i don't want people to think i was celebrating what happened to them or anything because i wasn't i want people to you know know that i don't think it's cool what ed Gein did at all but i was like but as like, if he would have set loose a vampire by mistake i was like this is what i think he would do to try and cover that up so it was that's kind of where that story came from that's believable that's believable <laughs> in the sense where is that I'm into all that shit too. And <laughs> you have to listen to 
you have to listen to. Yeah, the audio book is amazing. David Stifle is the it's narrator. Yeah, when I, mean, I was talking you sold about, me already, so yeah, yeah, I'm going to you, you got to his because his voice he sounds a lot like Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, um, his voice he's got that reanimator type, you know, accent, you know, so it's like you can almost picture Jeffrey Combs as Ed Gein, you know, and, and it's just like, and that's honestly who I pictured in my head when I wrote it was oh. Jeffrey Combs playing Ed Gein. And, um, who do you think's creepier, Ed Gein or Albert Fish? Uh, Albert Fish is probably, you know, more evil. Um, Ed Gein yeah. is creepier. Definitely creepier. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Vampire. Yeah. I um, <laughs> might be my top one. Um, I know it's in the top five, but it just might be my my number one. Yeah, not but, many people say that that's their favorite because I, I kind of get you know torn torn apart a little bit on that one because it's Ed Gein and um, they're like, well, you could have just made like a fictional serial killer. I'm like, it wouldn't have had the same yeah, effect. It, no, no, and that's what nailed it for me was how unique it was and the fact that it was him. And there's a little bit of that twisted sort of. I shouldn't be laughing at this, but I am. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I did try to make the, it funny. <laughs> yeah, but the story itself is not. So it's like a nice blend of laugh out loud at this, but then you're pulled right back into the holy shit what is happening. And yeah. it yeah, loved it. So that makes me feel good to hear because I know Mike Lombardo is I think he said that's his favorite too. And you're the only two that's ever said that, I do believe. <laughs> I, I, I want more eyes on that one. I know you want more eyes on the other one, but I mean, if we could take my top five, then we're going to go with, you know, that it would one definitely, it would definitely make me feel better about writing a sequel. It's like I have a sequel idea where it's a werewolf. So it would be called the beast of Plainfield. And yes. it takes place leading up to when Ed Gein gets arrested. So that's, I uh, would kind of wrap up my Ed Gein story, you know, with that one. And um, I have a great idea. I mean, I already, I've already got it all through in my head. And I was like, I just hesitate because of the response that the first one got because like, oh, you shouldn't make Ed Gein any, any type of hero. I'm like, but he's not a hero. Like, no, he's I- really not. I mean, like, if you look at it, he's not. It, the real Ed Gein had friends, his friends with the neighborhood kids, like the the Plainfield kids like they thought Ed Gein was just like kooky old Eddie you know and he would make them laugh and they thought he had like cool weird stuff in his house so I had like these kids in that and they were like his only friends sort of so they get mixed up in it and the story is really told through um, this character who's based on a a real kid but I changed the name and all that stuff and um so he's actually the lead of the story. Cause I was like, even early on, I was like, Ed Gein cannot be the lead, even though he's the one that causes all this. He's ultimately the one that's going to have to resolve it. He can't be the lead because people aren't going to like that. And I was like, and I don't know if I could make him a lead that I could cheer for either. And but I could write about a kid who's an aspiring writer. You know, I was like, I could write about him. And, you know, I sort of took things from my own childhood and put them into him like sneaking out the window and stuff like that and you know having a typewriter and wanting to write these stories that 
your parents, you know, they didn't mind that you wrote, but they kind of wished you wrote something different. You know? <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, the whole Timmy is the the main character, not Eddie. He's Eddie's kind of like the the one that messes everything up and Timmy gets pulled into it. And it's almost like he has to him and his grandmother have to help Eddie fix this thing that Eddie caused, you know, and none of them want to be a part of it to begin with. So. Yeah. So the werewolf one's going to be next, right? Or soon? No, no, I keep soon. going. I keep going to, to write it. And like I said, I'm like, I don't know. If, I don't know. But the more I think about it, the more it's kind of, you know, you feel like you're being scratched on the back. Like, it's like, like oh, hey, like, hey, that's kind of what I feel like that book is doing. And it's like, hey, don't forget about me. And that's how Pillow Face Rules was. It took me 12 years to write Pillow Face Rules. Mm. I even wrote the Lurkers Pillow Face book before that. And I had the idea for Pillow Face Rules when I wrote that book. And um, so it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if by summertime I started writing it. So <laughs> I even already have a cover for it. You know, I'm like, if I have a cover for it, of course I'm going to write it. But I don't know. It just keeps getting pushed back because I start working on something else instead. And I do have the opening written, but that's about as far as I've gotten. I suppose I can wait. (laughs) All right. So I do want to get into Lucy, your new one, because, I mean, I don't know. You have your favorites and all of that. (laughs) But I think every new one that you write just becomes automatically my... um, Favorite, my I've been thankful that it's been that way with me lately, the past couple years too. So I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, but Lucy is uh, (laughs) fantastic. Um, I don't want to tell them about the book. Why don't you? And then I'll tell you why I loved it as much as I did. Okay. Um, Lucy is basically the way I. I told my friend about it. His name's Steve. He and I are both, we, we each own pit bulls and uh, we love pit bulls and they're like goofy little, you know, sweet dogs and they get a bad rap. And um, so we, uh, you know, just kind of make jokes and everything. And I pitched it to him and he's sort of like my go-to guy with certain ideas. Not, not like all ideas, but if I have like an idea, I'll kind of go, Hey, what if like the vampire playing field one, that's who I pitched that to. And, um, so we were talking on the phone and I was like, you know, what about a, a movie or a, I mean, a, a book that's like, you know, you have a pit bull that goes out for revenge because somebody hurts, you know, her human. And then we kind of laughed and we were like, yeah, could you imagine our dogs trying to do that? And I was like, but yeah, what if it was like our dogs, you know, the real sweet kind of, you know, you, you know that they'd be protective because they are, but it's like, what if they go and track down the people that do it? I'm like, it'd be like Death Wish, but with a dog. I'm like the reversed John Wick, you know. <laughs> and um, they should make that movie. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it's a pit bull who she literally goes after the bad guys, and it's kind of like in my mind, I pictured it as like an exploitation movie, like maybe written and directed by Larry Cohen, who did like, um, you know, Black Caesar and stuff like that, and. Um, of course, he did the It's Alive movies and um, wrote Maniac Cop. But um, 
I'm a big Larry Cohen fan. And um, so in my head, I pictured it like it's modern. It, it, you know, it takes place in present day. But in my head, I saw it as like a 70s gritty exploitation, dirty, hairy type movie, but with a dog as the the main character. And now she's like a lot of people kind of think that, well, I'm being joined um, by my cat. Hello. <laughs> so a lot of people think that um, the whole book is told through her point of view, but it's not. She sort of like becomes the, she's like the, you know, the focus character that connects all the characters, but then she becomes the character, if that makes sense. And um, so it's, it was, I, I, I wrote that one very fast too. Um, and I had a blast doing it because um, I, I really enjoyed Lucy um, as a character. And then the bad guys are some of the best bad guys I think I've ever created since, you know, the pillow face bad guys. Um, they're unique. They're um, a disco loving um four group four member group who um look at disco as a religion and everything in their life they can reference and um compare it to a disco song and i actually dream those characters they um a few years back i had a dream where um this kid comes to the front door and he's like these people are after me and this is a completely unprovoked dream and he comes in. So I, I shut the door and lock it. And I'm like, who's coming after you? And he's like, the razors. I was like, the who? And he's like, the razors. And then I hear dancing queen, like starting to play like very muffled and faint. And it's like, mm-hmm, you know, and you just hear it. It's getting louder and louder and louder. And then I see the headlights because it's at night. So I see the headlights start shining in through the windows and the disco queen's getting louder and the doors open and these guys, this two guys and two women step out and they come into the house. And those are the people I put in the book. You know, it's like I woke up in the middle of the night and I wrote that down. I wrote the razors, two sets of twins, um, boy, boy and girl, boy and girl, twins, each one involved with the other. You know, and that was all I wrote. And I was like sadistic. I think that was like the other note I made. And it took five years, but I finally found a story to put them in. Yeah. It's co-loving bad guys. <laughs> um, that was pretty much why I loved it. But Lucy and the mix of those four, you take her in the first half of the book, and she's just this amazing dog she's just gentle and she's kind and she's just everything you would want this dog to be and then all the bad stuff takes place and this flip her switch just flips and then you have the disco Mm -hmm. bad guys and I could visualize a lot of the scenes with them and the humor that I, I experienced behind all of that while all of this stuff is happening just gave it this like fever dream surrealness that was like unbelievable um yeah i don't know it's in my top five again too and i've got to quit saying that with your <laughs> books but that's okay 
I fully expect the next one to make it into my top five too. So I think you should just keep writing books. But I should mention that the because you're talking about the switch being flipped. Um, yeah, Lucy, you know, like a lot of characters from the exploitation stuff, they come from their dark past, and Lucy had a dark past mm-hmm. that that she's got this good life now, and then something like a bad thing happens to her good life that makes the past come alive in her again. So it's like, you know, she smells blood again and it sets her off. So she goes after the people that, that wronged her uh, one by one. So it's, and boy, does she go after him? <laughs> yeah, she does. Brandon or Patrick, you two got anything else? A to dark add? autumn. I know okay, we were running out autumn. of time. We're running out of time, but Candace said that that's uh, she suggested it. So I did the audiobook. Um, hmm. I have a specific question asked, but it would spoilish areas. So well, you can ask it, and if it's too spoil spoiler, you know, we I'll, can always. I'll try to word it while I, I'll try <laughs> to dance around the exact thing. But um, what the okay so. The climax, <laughs> playing words, the climax <laughs> <Yeah>. of the scenario <laughs> is a uh, role reversed um, mm-hmm. in more than one way. And I got to imagine that there were decisions and thought, uh, you you know, you, you probably calculated, hmm, how is this going to get a react? Like, who's going to react to this in which way? Or maybe it was different because I actually don't know when it was published, but at least nowadays, um, that might be hard for some writers uh, to put out unless, unless they were of a certain group of people. I'm probably just giving away this. This the, I'm trying not. To <laughs> I don't think so. Now. I don't think so. Um, you get what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I was a, worried. I'm a professional interviewer, sir. Because I, I was originally that came out in uh, 2012, I think 2013, okay. and it was. My cat got down, but now he keeps acting like he wants to get back up here. Come on. Um, and it was, I was approached by a publisher and they were like, can you write something for us? And they're like, we don't care what it is. And I was like, okay, which I love that because I'd never been approached like that before. That was the first time I was ever approached. Hmm. So they were like, but it has to be a novella. So that we want it to be like 35,000 words or, or less between like 25 to 35,000. And I was like, okay. So I always had that idea. And I'd even um, had a screenplay of that. Um, so I kind of kept the screenplay in my head. And I almost like I did a novelization of my own screenplay. Um, and I sent it to them. And they were like, oh, no, no, no. We didn't, we didn't want that. Um, they are like, that's way too. No, that's not what we were wanting. But thanks anyway. They didn't ask for anything else. I was like, oh, crap. I was like, well, there went that. Um, so then I was telling Don about it in an email. And he goes, well, send it to me. And he goes, I'll, I'll, I'll read it and see see what I think. He goes, I'll publish it after he read it. And I was like, okay. So he goes, be ready for backlash. He goes, because you're going to get it. And I was like, mm. oh, yeah, I know. I was like, I know. <laughs> and um, so emails and messages started coming in. But it was never any backlash. It was women talking about how hot they thought that was. They are like, yeah, it was absolutely they're like, oh we God. can't believe how erotic this book is. And I was Holy like, no. Shit. I was like, I, I must have messed up. 
was like, because it is not supposed to be erotic at all. No. And they were like, they're like, oh, we love it. Like, That's just a fantasy. And they're like, oh, you tapped into it. I mean, I'll be at a convention and people will come up and they're like, I bought this last year and they'll like tap a dark autumn. And I go, oh, really? And like, yeah, they're like, so hot. And I'm like, could you imagine? Like, if it was I like me walking up, so going like, fact, if you like, reverse I bought, those. I spit on your grave. Yeah. So hot. Oh, man. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. But uh, I was just like, I failed with that one then. I was like, because it was supposed to like, man. And then, but, but people were like, the very ending, like with what happens to the person, you know, when everything's said and done, you're like, I didn't like that. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, then I made the right decision by going with that ending because it would be a hard sell and, you know, to convince anybody that that was not something that he could, you know, prevent, I guess, you know, I thought it was a great book. I thought that, fuck, if I wrote that, I would be, I don't drink no more, but boy, howdy, I'd go for <laughs> some, some Johnny Walker or something, man. Cause Holy shit. That, that had to take something out of you. It did. That one in desolation, both um, about ripped me apart. So that one, that one was brutal. I guess maybe a dark autumn sort of prepared me for when I wrote desolation, because um, that's the one that really, you know, tore my guts apart. So, um, and that's kind of more my, one of my more tamer books too, is desolation. It's <laughs> all I got on dark autumn. Cause I really don't want to spoil it, but I do want to say whoever's listening or watching that you should really consider that. But, uh, just be ready. If you say it's hot, don't say that to Christopher because that's kind of fucking weird considering the content in it. And and I was trying I get, to say I get, I get weird things all the time. It's like I've had people, you know, at a table picking up a book and reading the back of it, and they look at me and go, Is there any torture in this? And I go, Yeah. And they're like, Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, oh. And then you know, I get to talking about this. So what do you do for a living? They're like, oh, I'm a school teacher. And I'm like, oh. Okay. <laughs> that just Brennan, then you go, buddy. That just I don't know why, but it, he's talking about weird stuff he got from fans and show first time we had Sean Cosby on, he said that the weird thing that he gets, I don't know if it's still a thing, is you girl usually girls will send him pictures uh of them in the tub with his book. And they're not showing anything inappropriate, but that's just always the scene. I'm like, that's fucking yeah. weird because like it has nothing to do with any of the books. I had a person make an entire calendar each month was that person with one of my books and then bring it to me as a gift. I guess it depends in front on of the my person. daughter. So <laughs> it would really, really, really depend on the person to determine <laughs> how the that appropriateness of the picks. <laughs> yeah, that too. Big, yeah. 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 Go ahead, Brennan. Um, I, you know, Patrick, uh, highly recommends his choice uh i highly recommend the devoured and the dead and i love uh the kind of horror western thing that's really horror western weird western thing that's come back in the last few years yes and when you were invited to write for uh death's head at the time and take part in that kind of first series i'm wondering with, with this book did you want to kind of subvert tropes like the first thing that jumps out to me is you set it in the winter um and mm -hmm. you know typically we think of a western and we think of like the desert i mean hell that's where i set my western books but um 
yours takes place, you know, uh, among the cold and it's kind of crucial to the environment with that, you know, uh, well, I won't make a comparison cause that could be considered a spoiler, but <laughs> so, you know, what, what kind of thought process did you put into writing a horror Western and did you set out to really try and subvert tropes and make something unique? Um, yeah, a little bit. Um, what's funny though, is they, they didn't, um, originally ask me, I, I asked them actually, cause I read Wiley's book and, um, I loved it. And then when I found out that I was going to be like a series, I emailed them and said, is there, I had, at this point in time, I had not, I thought I put out what I put out one book in um, like a couple years. Cause you know, crazy life stuff, um, rough few years. And um, I, I co-wrote a book with wrath and death's head put that out and um, with, with wrath, James white. And um so I kind of had that communication and they were like, if there's ever anything else, you know, you want us to publish, you know, if you have something, you know, to send our way, send it our way. So with that in mind, I was like, I'm going to ask them if, you know, that I could possibly write a splatter Western. And they said, yes. And then they were like, what would yours be about? And I was like, um, well, it'd be about people who get stranded in the snow and, um, without giving too much away or kind of forced to do certain things that curse them in the process. And they were like, kind of like the Wendigo legend. And I was like a little bit and they were like, yeah, sounds good. So I kind of just, i ran with it. And um, going back to my big influences of Jack Ketchum, you know, I thought back to the girl next door and, you know, the way that was written told in first person, but it's like clearly, you know, the character as an adult now reflecting on what happened. And so that's the route I went. So it's almost like, <clears throat> you know, the character is just putting his memories down. And I figured that would be a, a good way to go to like that one moment in time over that span of those weeks and just condense it down really fast. I was yeah. like, because if you're, if someone's like, basically like, not like a journal, but almost like kind of, you know, writing like their own story. It's like, I don't think they would go into super details about stuff that doesn't seem quite as crucial as what ends up happening to them. So I think that's why that book kind of begins and just keeps going. You know, it's just like, it doesn't stop until literally it, yeah. it's over. And um, I had a lot of fun writing that one too. What an interesting comparison for you to bring up uh, the girl next door because you know, there's a lot of moments in in this book, but there's one particular like end of chapter that stuck with me, and I think that there's a way to read this book and call that particular moment shock value, but I think that that person would also read the girl next door and call some of those moments shock value when really it's the it, it's it's a single glimpse of the overall horror of the situation, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I guess I wonder, you know, is that something that you consciously do either in this book or in, in your work is, is mimic uh, Jack Ketchum's ability to put shocking moments into his book, but not have them read gratuitously or obnoxiously? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, he's one of those that can 
can like reach into your chest, pull your heart out, but at the same time nauseate you. But at the same time, you, you, you thank him for it. You know, it's like, that's, that's how his, his books are to me. Um, you can tell that he's writing because that's where this, he's putting that in there. That's where the story took him. He's not mm-hmm. sitting down and going how, okay, how can I make this as uncomfortable and as terrible for these people? No. And I, I look at the set Richard Lehman the same way. It's like, yeah, his books go crazy, but I don't think he sits down and, you know, and goes, Hmm, you know, I wonder how I could do this, that, and this, and just make the reader like flip out. You know, um, I think, that's where the story naturally takes them. So I used to always like, I even kind of make fun of myself now for it, but I used to always tell people when I would be interviewed, I'd be like, yeah, I like to write without a safety net, you know, which is true. Um, so it's kind of like anything can happen if you fall off the tightrope, you know, but one thing, you know, is like, there's not going to be a safe landing. And that's, that's kind of like the one rule I keep is like, if I feel like I'm trying too hard, then it's not where I'm going naturally. So if I'm having to think about it, you know, and go, oh, okay, well, how in the world am I going to brutally make this person go away in this story? If I'm having to think that, I'm like, no, I'm like, that's 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 not the natural progression. That's me seriously trying to think of a way to make the person who's going to read it go, oh, wow, you know? And it's going to come off that way. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, there's a, there's enough of that out there. And I just, like I said, I like, I like the story and I know it sounds so cliche, but I like the story to tell me where it's going, not the other way around, you know? And I'm sure all y'all know that when you like get down, you start writing and start really getting into it. You'll have an idea of where the story's going to go, but then it doesn't go there. And you're like, Holy, well, how did that happen? And it's like, you just keep going with it. It's weird. Yeah. It's almost like magic, you know, it just, just takes you one way and you're not prepared for, or expecting it, you know? It is. And you end up with, you know, a shocking moment that serves the story as opposed to a story that only exists to highlight a shocking moment. And there's right. a colossal difference in those two things. Yeah. And I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Candace, I'm going to throw it back to you. All righty. Well, going on 1015 here, sir. So with that in mind, is there anything else that you want to mention that we have not yet? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about what's next? Anything you want to mention as far as what you have in mind for 2024? <clears throat> um, yeah. Um, I believe the redneck zombies novelization will be released sometime this summer. Um, so I'm very excited about that. Um, super excited about that. And I'll talk more about that. I bet um, Ed would like to probably come on the show and talk about that as well. One day. Um, um, Make it happen. <laughs> we love that. He's one of the most, sorry to cut you off, but real, real quick is I don't think I talked about this before. Ed's, Ed's one of the most popular video version. Um, I don't know why it doesn't translate for audio, but uh, yeah, he's, he's well received. So you and Ed make it happen, baby. It's because Ed is such a handsome man and you have to do the video version. 
Nailed it. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I'll just maybe beast the playing field to be something this year. I don't know. Um, I've got some other stuff. I'm already working on the next book. Um, and have some another couple of anthologies that are coming out that I have short stories in um, that you have short stories in as well, Candace. Um, yeah. So that's exciting. Um, I went from not getting a whole lot of anthology invites to this past year. I got quite a few and that was fine. I was like, yes, was like keep them coming. I was like, I, I love doing it. Um, and um, yeah, that's about it. Just keep writing and putting out stuff um, and redneck zombies. You have a couple conventions, right? Yes. Mad Monster Party in um, Concord, North Carolina, coming up in two weeks, and I'll be at AuthorCon 3. Um, As of right now, I'm not going to be at AuthorCon 4, but that might change. Um, And I'm also supposed to do um, a uh, small convention in um, Pennsylvania and... um, I'll be able to talk more about that as my name gets really announced and stuff. Okay. All right. Um, any last words from either of you two, Brennan, Patrick? I would just like to, uh, it, does this count as final thoughts or are you just you sure? Strange final thoughts. <laughs> All right. People, final thoughts. In that case, I would like to use the opportunity to uh, thank Christopher for your time. Uh, I absolutely loved the books that I read from you so far, and I am going to dive into more. I'm going to dive into Candace's top five, which is so elastic that it actually encompasses more like 13 or 14. Um, That's okay, too. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with us on a Friday night, man. I appreciate the invite. Thank you so much. Yeah, I got to piggyback. Really appreciate talking to you. I, I just I want to keep reading what happens with Pellface, uh, and I get to read the other ones that Candace suggested, and I'm making fun, but I'm pretty sure just like read them all. Fifteen <laughs> bucks at least. So I hope that people hear this and check out your books. I hope so as well. Um, I'm just gonna keep cranking them out anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. So yeah. I guess we can wrap with that. Um, my final thoughts would be thank you for your time, but you already know that. Um, I guess my actual final thoughts in this interview would be short story real quick, but you know this. I was reading you long before I started to write and having met you a couple of years ago, and then now that I'm editing you, yeah. talk about a weird experience. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you for that, for when we met, for keeping me sane, keeping me calm, and, you know, because I was about to lose my shit on the panel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, it's been a wild ride to go from a fan to a friend to your editor. It's, yeah, it's been a, it's been fun. Yeah. 
But yeah, thank you for all that and for your work and for you, you know, just who you are. So. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Patrick, close us out, sir. Yeah, next episode is 234 with Ed Brubaker and Jordan Harper. We're going to be talking about Jordan Harper's uh, paperback release of Everybody Knows. We're going to be talking about Ed Brubaker's upcoming book. And uh, together, they are working on some really neat stuff, a show. Um, we'll talk about that in the details then. Um, and as always, you have many choices in podcasts. Thanks for picking us. Bye. Bye-bye.